Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. Today, we're going to talk about how to manage stress at work on Aim Higher. And I'm going to take a moment to thank everyone who's leaving reviews and taking the time to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It is really important. We appreciate it. And if you don't take the time, you are definitely not aiming higher. I think you're aiming lower. You're on the wrong podcast. If you don't like the podcast, you are also on the wrong podcast. You should rate a different podcast. I clearly. Think that's clearly. clearly. Right. That, that must be the case. So in any case, we're talking about how to manage stress at work, you know, stress, exhaustion, burnout, frayed nerves, pressure, deadlines work, home, balance, all of it takes a toll. It takes a toll in a lot of ways. You may have high blood pressure. You may have sleep loss, relationship problems, productivity gaps. You might have burnout or depression or anxiety or just this constant feeling of dread. If you feel like your heart's in your throat, all of these ways are ways that your body is saying you are stressed. Eight out of 10 people in a recent study said they are stressed about something at work right now. And two out of 10 probably didn't know how to fill out the survey. So with me today to talk about stress at work is a great panel. Welcome back, Chip Nilgis. Thanks, Skip. Andrew Bordas. Thank you, sir. And Tammy Spade. Thank you. We are all stressed talking about stress, aren't we? Very stressful. Yes, it is. Very stressful. We don't know where this will go. But, you know, there's two different kinds of stress anyway. There's eustress and distress. We usually lump it into just stress. But eustress actually is good stress. It's stress that usually happens when good things happen, but you still are stressed. So you're moving across the country or you got a promotion at work and you have kind of some stress about what that will mean. A lot of family events. Maybe you just had a child or you're getting engage these kind of stressful events. Those are usually determined to be good stress. Now, if you've gotten engaged to the wrong person, that would be what we call bad stress. So that is something different. So there's a lot of bad stress. But when we think about stress, if somebody says, I'm stressed at work, that usually doesn't mean that they're just receiving an engagement ring. It usually means they're stressed about something at work. Typically things like bad boss, job insecurity, my capability is not matching the job, my workload seems unbearable, conflicts. A lot of it has to do with either my boss or the team member who is just really very difficult to work with and I'm forced to. So these are people that I didn't choose and they're in my life and I'm really stressed. What are some of the other reasons you would see stress at work? What are some of the causes of stress at work? I just listed a few. You might agree with them or come up with something else. Panel, what do you think? Something I see right now is workload and change and disruption because of staffing. You know, because there are a lot of people moving into other roles. People are just moving more than they did over the past two years and really probably over the past decade. So I think that can be a good stress if you're moving or maybe even you're getting a new coworker who really seems like they're going to be a great partner, but there's some stress in that limbo period and the interim period where maybe there's an empty spot. I think sometimes people don't speak up and say, 
well, because this role isn't filled right now, we're going to have to readjust priorities a little bit. They kind of take it on. The other thing I was thinking as you were talking is sometimes I think we wear stress as kind of a badge of honor. When you said eight out of 10 people, I'm not arguing that, but I mean, how often do you ask people, how's work? And they say, oh, it's great. I love it. I have just the right amount of work and I love everyone I work with. (laughs) Usually you get busy. Oh, busy. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty busy. Stressful. I do see that it can be a badge of honor. It reminds me of sleep. Some people have a sleep badge of honor. I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep. And that, or I'm working this many hours. I'm I'm working, working, working. And I think, well, you're terribly inefficient. I don't know. So (laughs) it is always interesting to get the deeper perspective on that. But you do see teams who actually are stressed. And then it's a different thing. I, I see a lot of causes for stress at work. And some of them are serious. And some of them don't seem serious at all until you have the empathy to get into where they are. There was a new employee who first job is here and was stressed over something that I would think it was absolutely nothing. But you can see the stress over what that person is going through. And you have to remember, oh, yeah, like I was stressed at this. I When I was a kid, I'd work at different restaurants and you're stressed over the menu or something that's so minor in life, but you're stressed over, I don't remember what chicken cacciatore is or something like that. So it's different by person, by job, by experience. And you can't minimize that for somebody if they're going through that stress. I think empathy is so important for a manager to exercise in helping the team to process their stress. And I think a lot of stress, I find a lot of stress in my role, I'm constantly dealing with all parts of the company, external constituencies, trying to bring things together to find success for us and for the partner. It only works if it works for everyone. I think a critical first step there is to really understand where the different parts of the organization internally, where the partner, where they're coming from, where they're trying to go and connect those dots and let them go through their process and hear what they're saying and play it back to them so that you can see in their eyes that they know that you understand. So ways for managers to handle stress at work, you've just covered two, have empathy and listen, I think is a big one that you just covered, which we just never can do enough of. I'm always struggling how to become a better and better listener on not just what people say, but also beneath the emotional side or the unspoken side or getting them to voice things that they otherwise would just hide. I think talking about it as a team or with individuals is is good. We seem stressed as a team. Let's talk about that. You seem stressed right now. Let's talk about that. And oftentimes leaders in business situations don't want to do that because they want to deal in concrete. They want to deal in numbers. They want to deal in spreadsheets. They want to deal in performance or performance indicators. They don't want to deal with people's emotions. But that stress sometimes Sometimes it's very stressful, I find, if you can't express your stress as a team. Yeah, you have to let it out. And if somebody just listens to you, you know, maybe they're going to help you with it. Maybe they can course correct it. Maybe they can't, but just simply saying, you know, this is a really incredible few weeks. I acknowledge it. I know it's hard. I'm with you. How can I assist? That's enough to help power that person through. I think the few weeks thing, that, that's where my head was just listening to you all. As the leader or the individual – you can't let it be constant. And I and I don't mean the badge of honor type stress. I mean the real like understaffed, 
crazy expectations. It cannot be constant or it will be bad for your health. You're never going to have just completely stress-free. It never, you never get stressed. That's just not the nature of work, but being aware that it's a moment, it's a time, it's a, Hey, I know this is terrible, but I need you to do this for this amount of time. And then please take a vacation. Like some, something like that. You've got to manage it. If you're in a constant, miserable, overworked, situation, you've got to make a change. It's not going to sustain itself. Some people can do it for longer than others if they have a good reservoir tank, but it it will run out for everybody. But stress can be good too. You go to the gym, you lift heavy weight, that stresses your muscle, it rips the muscle fiber, you eat protein, it rebuilds it, etc. If you didn't put your muscle under stress, you wouldn't challenge yourself and grow. Stress can be a great motivator too. And it can can, be a great motivator. It can drive positive change. I remember sitting in law school, Socratic method, and you would come in and Professor Reese would walk to the front of the classroom and he would look around and say, Mr. Pritchard, where are you? And you had to stand up and you had to be ready. You know, I want to ask you about footnote 23. I can still remember. And you had to know what footnote 23 was, what was going on, et cetera. And not only were your peers watching you, in some way, which I guess puts some peer pressure on you, but he was grading you on how you responded in class in real time. That was extremely stressful. Some people cracked under it. I thrived under it. I used it as a motivator. I'm like, oh, I like this. Like it made me really get prepared. I was never You're so prepared. Sick. You're a sick man. He probably, he <laughs> probably I'm, still I'm knows just hearing what that probably, probably, he probably does. He probably yeah. does. Maybe he can guess. still do yeah. like 1332. We all have our diversity, issues. Diversity, jurisdiction, and what the, yeah, it's very, very funny. But yes, it can be good. The fourth kind of way I think we can help as managers helping handle stress at work is recognition. Just recognition of the hard work. It doesn't have to be a party every time, though that's nice. It doesn't have to be beers or lunch or something, but it can be just the recognition. Thank you for what you just did. I realize how hard that is. I realize what you just went through. You sacrificed a lot. and It really meant a, a difference to this team and to what we were doing. And I just want to thank you for it. So that recognition... One of the studies I, I love, whatever you think you're giving enough recognition, double it and double it again, and you're still not giving enough. That's how hungry people are for recognition. And I always tell people this, recognition goes in all ways. People think recognition is directionally down. They want recognition from the boss. That is not recognition. Recognition comes from everywhere. It comes from the side, down, over, lateral, outside, inside, up. like recognize your boss, recognize your leader, recognize your vice president, recognize your coworker, recognize the person who just worked with you, recognize the contractor who's in, recognize the barista who just served. Like recognition is a way of life. It is not a management practice. And if you think all the time, how can I recognize people and and do that? You will find that more rewards and more things come into your life that are more positive. So just recognition. You'll also find pockets of stress you were unaware of, I think. Because, I mean, just you can't know everybody in the entire company and what they're going through, and and you just can't. But I think asking the question to your team, who who should we recognize? Who's, who's doing something above and beyond right now? You might find something, well, gosh, here's what this team is going through that you need to look into and help out. And, and you didn't and know. You had no idea. So I think, I think the recognition kind of angle of this conversation is something that could really be explored. Yeah. In our monthly reports, I have a section in there, outstanding performance. And it doesn't have to be on your team. It can be any outstanding performance you or your team have seen. I think it's really important because it allows that opportunity to spotlight people that you would not know. I don't have a section that says, 
horrible, awful performance. Like, <laughs> because we don't need to spotlight that. You'll probably hear about it anyway, but we don't have that anyway here at all. No, you no, know, we don't. It's only outstanding. But it, that does help with gratitude, though, I find. I was it, thinking that. No. Yeah, there's a connection. Yeah, there is. Of just being able, because especially like just recognizing somebody on a different team or somebody you don't work with every day mm -hmm. to just be able to say that person really just stepped up and did something terrific. I love the idea of the 360 degree recognition too, because as a human, as a person, it's needed. I mean, Drew walked into my office this morning thinking about- Sorry. Uh, well, there's that. <laughs> guys are so mean. <laughs> so mean. You love it. But we were talking about something that we didn't intend to discuss. And this is the great part about being in person together, just serendipity. And we both realized, oh, we have this deadline coming up. This is going to be a stressful time. We didn't realize it was coming up so quickly. And just acknowledging it with each other minimized the stress because yes. you're, you're in it together. Yep, we know this is going to be a tough month. There's a bunch going on. Yep, we do have to do that it lowered stress just by having that conversation and in that recognizing each other for what we do to get through it. It's also important to magnify and repeat recognition from someone else. So oftentimes in a monthly report, when somebody writes to me and says, this team and this team did such and such, I will write to those people and say, I want you to know that Chip Nilgis said this about you. Drew Bort said this about you. Because then it not only recognizes that person, but it makes that person have gratitude and recognize the other person, like because, and it's true, by the way. So it just kind of magnifies the whole thing. But you're talking about your serendipitous meeting with Drew. Another one, I think number five on my list of handling stress at work for managers is give feedback. Plenty of it. It helps people know where you stand. So that's feedback in terms of a project you're working on together, which kind of lowered your stress. But I think there's a lot of feedback. So if it's continued feedback, if you're working for somebody or with somebody, and you're always having to guess, what do they think about me? Am I doing well or not well? That lack of feedback creates an enormous amount of anxiety and stress. Like, And it's not good stress. That is so true. And I see that with projects where you'll initiate a project and... If you don't check in early, let's talk about it. So let's let's look at the framework of the project. Let's talk about where it's going. Projects can go on for weeks or months. And if they've missed the mark at the beginning, it only gets You're worse way over off time. Course. <laughs> yeah. And whose fault is that? Well, that's my fault because I'm not engaging with them Feedback. early in the process. And I think community as well is so important. You know, from the inside out, do I know when I'm under stress? Am I aware of when I'm under stress? And when I am under stress, am I looking for support in my team? And are people giving the feedback to say, we see you're under stress? Yeah, feedback's also important. You think about performance reviews and those kind of things. If the performance review is the annual time you get feedback from your boss, that's not good. Feedback should be continual. It should be constant. It should be immediate. So your feedback isn't at the end of the year, you go, I had absolutely no idea you thought this about me. It should be, yep, that's what I thought. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, yep, that's good. And then we're in it together and we, we work on it. That's feedback and it's joint. It's both ways. It's not one way, even in a performance review, it's both ways. But that feedback lowers stress among colleagues too. And there are certain people who keep things close to the vest. They may not be emotionally expressive. Their personality may be introverted or they may deliberately hide it. They may be conflict avoidant. And in each one of those cases, you may lack the feedback you need to grow, to learn, or that person, I've seen people developing hostility and anger towards something 
because they were not willing to open up and share it early. And then it erupts like a volcano. Vesuvius, instead of just simply saying, you upset me on this. And the person might say, I had no idea. Or you did something that offended me and I've just let that fester and grow and grow and grow. Without that feedback, you've stressed out yourself and get more and more offended and it becomes a disaster, right? So feedback, I think, is extremely important. We all love feedback. Now, we all love positive feedback, but you can learn to love all feedback. And if you do, it can really energize you. And if it's negative feedback, you may say, I'd like a chance to explain. I'd like to tell you why. I'd like to show you this. Or you may say, that's ridiculous. Or you may say, I disagree. But having that feedback, I think, is, is important. And I do all of those things. I think alongside of that, it's good to have a way to talk about things. So I know Enneagram is one methodology, Berkman, et cetera. If you're in a community in your company where that is in common, it makes it easier to have a constructive conversation and to give feedback. It does what I call it, third parties it, I, I yeah. call it. Instead of it saying, it's about me personally, I can say, let me explain this. And you're explaining it in a way that shifts it outside of you and it shifts it onto this board, this system, this way of thinking so that we can reach a commonality. Yes. Um, I do find that. Yeah, it's a framework that you can use. And performance reviews can be that way too. I'm thinking when you're talking about performance reviews, our daughter's in her first career professional job of her career, and she had her performance review this week. And she was so stressed before the performance review. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what this is going to be like. What if they say this? What if they say that? I said, well, is there anything? If only her mother knew anything about I know. human resources. <laughs> I said, is there that. anything that, you know, that has been said before now, because I know she's gotten lots of accolades, that would suggest that there's any issue? You know, we always have a place to grow, but why are you so, I don't know, I'm just very stressed about it. But it points out what Chip was saying earlier, too, that what stresses me is going to be different than what stresses you. And we just, you know, we have to be communicating about that, as you just said. So her review was good, by the way. Good for her. I am not stressed at all about smudges on like a laptop case. But I think that somebody here might actually- Purely hypothetical. Hypothetically. Might, hypothetically. I've might, heard, I've read, yes. Might yes. not like that. That is so true, Skip. Certain things will stress one person, but not at all stress the other. Yeah, I wonder what that is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So another one, and I think this is really very, very important and very difficult. And people think it's easy. And I want to talk a little bit about it. Realistic expectations. So an employee can be very, very stressed because their boss is having unrealistic expectations. It is easy to say the expectations are unrealistic. I want to just give a correlating kind of thought on that. One of my favorite speakers and thinkers is Les Brown. He has this quote that I love. It's, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss it, you will land among the stars. He says that a lot of his speeches. So there's a leadership dilemma because you could say, always give realistic expectations. On the other hand, if all of your expectations are always realistic, would we have electric cars? Would Elon Musk be doing all the things he's doing? It's unrealistic, right? So some of our visionaries and dreamers are doing things unrealistic. You say, oh, it'll take two years. I need it in six months. That's unrealistic. But some of those unrealistic visions and dreams are exactly what you needed to propel the organization to new levels. So employees, you may be stressed sometimes, unrealistic expectations. That's true. But some of those unrealistic expectations are exactly what you needed to have the breakthrough. So I just want to say it's not as easy as you think 
either way as a manager or an employee somewhere to know what is the right balance between you know what's unreasonable and what's big thinking and challenging i think understanding the why and being able to communicate it helps a lot right is it hey that would normally take us 2 years and i've got to do it in 6 months because bad things happen in month 7 or am i clueless executive because it could be either one and so really being able to communicate that, get it across, again, the coalition of the willing to, and you can do great things and, and it could be very stressful while you're doing it, but you can achieve really, really amazing things in that time. It forces you into the breakthrough, I think is a great point because we've all been on projects where the timeline seemed unrealistic and it forced us to think about doing it completely differently. And we could see a breakthrough as a result of that. I can think of two or three projects like that. I stood outside the Hewlett Packard garage that started HP. You know, Jeff Bezos in his garage started Amazon. You know, these people had unrealistic expectations of what was going to happen, and yet it worked. But I think to your point, Drew, sometimes communicating, I know this is different. I know this is hard. I know it lets people know I am shooting for the moon, and it gives them a sense of that versus if they say, We need you to write 2,000 pages by noon. That's an unrealistic expectation Mm -hmm. and can't happen. Somebody else could say, well, of course it could happen, Skip. That's why we have AI now that can do the writing. And you could easily do 2,000 pages that quickly. By the way, that's true. Isn't that wild? It might be horrible. I don't know. So one person's unrealistic expectation is someone else's challenge. So it is interesting. Another one is allow breaks. I think that is important if you want to have sustainable activity. 24 by 7 on call is not sustainable. Have vacations, have time away, take those breaks. Don't have a meeting that goes for five hours with no breaks. That's important. Supporting remote work is another one that can be important in some jobs that can be flexible where you can have a hybrid model. There's benefits to working in the office. There's benefits to working hybrid and not in the office. Another one I'll throw out, Harvard Business Review said to focus on monotasking. Multitasking is a myth. It creates stress. So if you think it doesn't, you're creating your own stress. I'm doing this over here, writing this report while I'm on the phone and I'm on a Zoom call. That generally doesn't work well. Our brains are not designed to do it that way. Now, again, maybe AI again will allow part of your brain to do one thing with another doing another. But as of right now, that would not be a good idea. So monotasking. And if you see people struggling with that, I think they should stop. I think something I've learned personally with that is when I realize I'm doing it to look at the person I'm half listening to or something and say, you know what? I'm not giving this conversation with you the attention it deserves. We need to reschedule it. Or I'm going to shut down my laptop and actually look at you and talk. Like, just depends on the priority, but it's not good and it's not healthy. It's, It's unrealistic and you're doing a disservice to something. To everyone. Or you're having this conversation with me and right now I have to do this. So I I think you should come back later. Yeah, either way. And it's so hard today with with the devices. Turn off the phone. It's so hard. And sometimes that's possible and other times it's just not. Mm -hmm. I think I agree with what you're saying, Drew. I think one way to give yourself the ability to do that is schedule shorter meetings. You know, schedule 30 minutes, but really be there. Yes. Right. And prepare for it. The other thing I find is that if I have a project where I'm the primary source of the product, I have to schedule focus time to do that and have the integrity to actually be in that project for that period of time. If you are a leader, that's excellent, Chip. 
I'm going to switch gears. If you are a leader and you see your team overtaxed, what do you do? Particularly, what do you do if up the chain from you and your management team, the leader's pushing, pushing, pushing? So you see your team's overtaxed, but the boss above you is just nonstop pushing. What do you do? I have experienced that recently, and my impulse is always to sit down with the person who is indicating that they're overtaxed and talk to them about it. Because often their idea of what needs to be produced is not completely in line with what's required to find success. And going back to the earlier conversation, as the leader, I can give them permission to think about it differently. I can consult with them and reframe the problem and structure the project to fit the time, or I can alter their priorities and take some of the pressure off. But the communication is key both key, ways. Otherwise, absolutely. you have no idea. Oh, absolutely. you can make no it worse idea. even. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really good. If you feel powerless to stop stress, what do you do? I change. I make a change in routine. I just talked about this with one of my children earlier this week of um, if you find yourself in a, in a stress rut, just mix something up. Go in the driveway and shoot hoops. Go walk the dog. Go, you know turn off Twitter and watch a movie instead. Do, do something. Because I think that reset, whether it's exercise or habit or, you know, people say, you know, drive home a different way, it matters. And it, it can shake you up a little bit. And you can kind of reassess, should I really be this stressed about this? Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. But it, it gives you a break. Yeah, I think that's so good. I mean, for me, I tend to, number one, meditate. Number two, exercise or change up the routine somehow. And chip and I've known each other for a longer period of time, I was someone who didn't really like to exercise, didn't think I could fit it into my life. Didn't like to sweat. Didn't like to sweat. And, you know, that happens. But I have become an advocate as I've gotten more mature and knowledgeable, presumably. Amen. Presumably, (laughs) that it does make a big difference. And it's switching it up. You know, I I can feel myself, I can feel that stress sort of leave physically when I think you've got to find what works for you, though. You do. For some people, it's weights. Some people, it's running, biking. But find something. Yeah. So, Tammy, I've gotten a little more mature, and I'm more mature than you. (laughs) We (laughs) can debate that. Yeah. (laughs) Depends on the topic. What I've found, too, as I've gotten older is connecting with nature every day. Something as simple as walking the dog and seeing the same people down at the park for 30 minutes starting my day that way. Yeah. It's that switching that scenery yeah. that Drew talked Absolutely. about. I think especially in this which, day Which, hold age. on, Chip does okay. at like 3.30 in the morning. Well, yeah. That's, I mean, <laughs> that's who not, are those that's people not exactly park? safe. That's the, uh, this online constant media cycle, it can be very, it can add stress to you that is optional, honestly. Turn it off. Turn, Turn it off. off. Go outside. Go talk to your neighbor. The phrase that's being used now is go, go touch the grass, go, go get in touch with reality. It's really important. I go to walk in a local park and oftentimes I see a woman who I thought was stuck, but she is tree hugging, really connecting. So you say touch the grass. She is really connecting with that tree. So I thought, well, this is quite interesting, but you ask her, that's what it is. She's connecting with nature, you know, feeling grounded, et cetera. Well, I'll so. tell you, one pandemic benefit is that occasionally I'm home in the afternoon. I take a walk down to the park. There are little kids playing. There are other people walking their dogs. This is not something you get when you're in an office all day. But the value of that is tremendous. Yeah, widens your lens. Yeah, And I think exactly. even in the office, 
I like the different workspaces we have here. So get out of your office, go take your laptop, go sit in the blue booth with, mix it up, go sit in the cafeteria and interact with some different people. There's a lot of different ways you can make very small changes in the moment that can help you. Yeah. And really open up your thinking to different people crossing your path that is important wherever you are. And I think that's part of our world today. You can be mobile and work almost anywhere. Well, last question I want to just probe. If a particular colleague is causing me stress, somebody writes, threatened by me, trying to sabotage me, what do I do about that? I've got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> My mind went there too. That's, that's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. It is scary. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it sounds trite, but I think it is back to communication, at least at the front end, if you haven't already done that, talking to them about what's going on, calling them out maybe taking someone with you in that conversation. Yeah, that's a tough one because you can feel powerless, but you're not. You're not powerless. And I do think talking to someone else about an issue like that could be really valuable. HR maybe? HR, somebody you trust, your manager, another, you know, coworker, depending on kind of how that sits and what kind of organization it is. Yeah. And somebody that's not just going to tell you what you want to hear. Right. Because that's so tempting. Right. Um, I've got my I've got my tribe over here. And yeah, that yeah. person's you know, awful. Yeah. I, I would say, too, that that is a shortcut that is usually not effective that that person is exercising. They're doing something that is going to come back as a negative in their career. And, you know, sometimes they need to know that. You're calling it out. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important. But it does take great courage. Yes. It does take great confidence. And again, back to depending on your personality and wiring, it it will be more difficult for some people than others. But you don't want to live your life in a way that allows someone else to put you in a box and in a prison of their making. And you don't realize that that prison is actually of your making. It is your mind that's creating that. And you don't need to accept that. And you don't need to you can, you know, you can ignore it. You don't need to believe it. But if they're causing you a great deal of stress, you can take actions. And I do think it's important that you do, particularly if you think it's going to last for a long, long time. And if you do need help, you know, larger companies have opportunities for you to talk to people who might be able to help in your management chain, in your HR team, et cetera. But you don't want to just live with an employee causing you a great deal of stress, annoyance, et cetera. But oftentimes you never told that person and the person might think that they're joking and not realize that you're actually stressed out about something or offended by something or whatever. And you need to have the courage to let them know, you know, this is not affecting me well. I don't like the way you're doing this. And if you don't do this, I'm going to be doing the following. And most of the time people will be good and back down, et cetera. And if not, that's a different scenario. And if not, they're probably someone who's behaving that way with you. They're probably behaving that way with other people. It's probably something that their leader is going to hear about at a certain point. So I, you know, I would say to that person, it's not going to help you in your career. You might think you get a short-term gain, but it's not going to help you long-term. No, it won't. Well, managing stress at work, exhaustion, burnout, frayed nerves, all those different things we talked about, you can manage through it. And stress can be good. You stress, kind of positive stress, stress can be challenging, but dealing with it is not something that is likely to go away. And if you want to aim higher, it is important that you become a master of stress and do not let yourself become in a prison of your own making. So we encourage all of you to take all of these steps 
and make sure that you are on the right path to aim higher. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre, always aim higher.